Welcome to Do You Like Scary Movies? Where we examine all things horrific. Each episode features interviews with those involved in all aspects of horror and the bizarre. Do you like creepy movies, scary books, or horror music? Join us for a look into all of the things that go bump in the night and bring a chill to your spine. Prepare to be scared. Welcome to this uh, episode of Do You Like Scary Movies? Uh, this week we have an amazing... Uh, artist and everything else imaginable uh with this his name's adam doherty you all might know him as the creature kid that's with a k um but before we do that uh let me introduce myself i am brian one of your co-hosts also with uh rocky mountain paranormal and because that's just not enough i also do a podcast called they did it um and that being said, I will hand things over to my co-host, Bob. Hello, I'm Bob, also of Rocky Mountain Paranormal, more recently. And I also have a YouTube channel you can find at phobophile.com, where I talk, much like we do on here, about everything horror. And with that said, uh, I think we need to get in and talk to Adam. Sounds like fun. So, uh, why don't you introduce yourself for the people that don't know who you are. Hey everyone, I'm Adam Doherty, also known as Creature Kid Online. Uh, I'm a special effects artist and sculptor and character designer and toy collector and creature aficionado. All kinds of stuff. All the good stuff. All the stuff. All the monster stuff. The fun stuff. Yeah, everything monsters. That's what I do. Monsters are the best people. Yeah. I'm so distracted here. I keep looking at all the cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I live here and I do that. So yeah. It's yeah. Creepy. Yeah. It's nice. Um, so a little background. How did you get started? Where did this, uh, this, this creature obsession and all of this come from? Well, I grew up in Colorado, but, uh, I'd say the monster stuff starts pre Colorado. And I want to say we were in Seattle at the time. Um, so that's probably around four or five years old, I would say. So as far back as I can remember, for some reason, it was just always like, I want the Aurora Frankenstein for Christmas and get the Monster Kids books. Um, was uh, it was it a particular film that, that brought you into it? or I don't know. I mean, it's honestly, it's, it's as far back to where there is no recollection of me seeing it for the first time. It was always just there. Um, a theory is, I mean, I had an older brother who was into monsters. So a theory is it was my brother watching Monster Squad. You know, we had an HBO VHS. So it's an 80s thing. We had the VHS lying around. It's maybe as a, as a, as a four-year-old watching these things or listening to them. Um, another theory is uh, my parents grew up in the 60s, um, big monster craze. So maybe they were just playing the Universal movies because it's, you know, okay enough for a kid but fun to watch um and then also just growing up in the 90s there was a big universal boom in the 90s with the pizza hut toys and the re-release of all the universal monsters on vhs for the first time so that could have been it um but just as a kid of the 90s you were fed universal stuff quite a bit and for some reason i was just gravitated towards the creature from black lagoon from day one 
So as far back as I can remember, it was the creature's the favorite. Give me the creature stuff. That was the main thing. Well, that's because you had good taste. Yeah, yeah exactly. The, the creature's the best one. Yeah, yeah. Just as I a love kid, them all, but... it's the most attractive to the eyes, too, right? It's the most unusual out of the bunch. I have to interject here. I'll let you keep going, but yeah. I, I have a question. Do you get as furious as I do every time they start to say that they're going to remake the creature? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not furious. I mean, my goal is to eventually be a filmmaker to where I can be like, I want to remake the creature. Universal, you do not know what you're doing. Um, you know, like what Guillermo did with Shape of Water. You know, I think he went to Universal and was like, I want to remake the creature. And like, nah, we got our own plans for it. He's like, okay, I'll just go make my own and call it something else. Well, and he, you know, honestly... Now that I think about it, if they would have used his creature in a remake of a creature movie, I kind of would have been okay with it. I think so. Because it was it was close enough. I think so. I, I do, you know, I love the beast trapping the boat in the Amazon, and it's like a horror movie. Yeah. I do love that, but I like his direction in it, you know, some romance and stuff. I don't think as a kid I would have liked it very much. Well, you know, he said that's when he had his inspiration. Oh, really? Yeah, he said that he went to see it when he was a younger kid, and he was really upset that they didn't, like, you know, follow up on the story. He wanted to see, like, her and the creature, like, out having ice cream and dating. And Uh. it's like, I I always thought of it that way, so I'm just going to make my movie. Yeah. And he took it ten steps farther. That's cool. I always see uh, Anaconda. Mm-hmm. From back in the day, that's basically a creature remake. It is. Um, yeah, and I go, that would have been okay if that was a creature. I mean, it's a horror, it's an action, it's interesting. You know, it's trying. You know, they're stuck in the river. Have um, you ever noticed in the scene where they're pulling the boat back out, at, at, kind of just before the ending of it, mm-hmm. that they just ran the film backwards? Oh, really? Yeah. If you look, <laughs> the waterfall's pouring up. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> but I just, yeah, I, don't, I just love the movie. Obsessed with it. All three movies, VHS. I had a little creature display all my toys and my vhs's and it just grew and grew and grew um and just you know accumulated a huge monster toy collection um to where eventually it was do monster collect monster toys and build model kits and then i just had so much fun building model kits and painting the creature um to where it just evolved into going to model conventions and toy conventions and looking for creature toys and and entering my creature model kits into the model contests and winning them and people going, you know, you're really good at painting. And I'd always get, you know, I, I did a handful of model conventions with competitions in the in the minor, right, little the kids area. And I'd, I'd get the gold every time. And then they were like, you're just really good at painting. And then it wasn't until a combination of uh, my older brother, who was a monster fan, was a painter at Distortions at the time, which is a Colorado company. Mm-hmm. And he was learning, you know, wed clay, plaster molds, painting large-scale stuff, figuring out latex. So he started doing his own thing in the garage, and I was painting model kits in the garage, doing my thing. And then um, that at that time, buying on eBay, which is when the Creature Kid name started, uh, my mom set up my eBay account to just bid on Creature Toys. <laughs> and Creature with a C, Creature Kid was taken so she just did creature kid with a k and that's how it started out it's like it's like i think i'm probably like 10 year old you know wanting stuff on ebay which ebay just started at the time right and uh 
and and starting my eBay account to bookmark things I wanted for Christmas. You know, <laughs> I'd bookmark things I want for Christmas, and then my mom would buy it, and then it'd be my Christmas presents. Um, so that's where Creature Kid originated. But my brother was playing with clay in the garage. I was doing model contests, and through eBay, looking at creature things, I saw um, a guy selling creature models he was making, sculpting. A Ben Chapman tribute garage kit. Oh, I uh, see. That, the creature beautiful. bobbleheads, the Uncle Gilbert yep. model kit, and it was uh, Johnny Gilbert from Arizona, the AZ Gilman, who has the largest collection of creature stuff in the world, um, and he's a creature historian. But his eBay listings were model kits with his col- creature collection wall to wall in the background. So. So 10-year-old Adam emails, oh my God, can I see more photos of your collection? I want all his model kits. I want it all. And that started this friendship of just uh, of just me emailing him, going, I love your stuff, and this and that. And he starts being like, oh, it's a kid. I'm, you know, my mom was helping me put emails together. And he goes, uh, dude, you should try sculpting. Here's some, uh, here's like, here's what I do. Like, here's some, here's, you know, I go, go, go get this, and I'm using toothpicks, and I'm using freaking paper clips. You know, your brother's doing it. Use some of that clay. And then uh, during the model kit competitions too, I, I remember vividly um, uh, me and my dad and one of my best friends went out to the Imagination Show in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And I entered a model contest there and I was so excited because I did a Monster Squad creature model kit. I did the Ben Chapman tribute model kit. And those were my entries into the contest. And Steve Wang was going to be there for this first time, and I was a huge fan. And he was going to—he sculpted the Monster Squad garage kit I was doing. And then Ben Chapman and Julie were going to be there doing autographs. So I was like, I can get them to autograph the Ben Chapman tribute kit. So this was going to be my first time meeting Johnny Gilbert, because um, he was going too. So me and my dad drove out there. I did the model contest. I won golds. I met Ben Chapman for the first time. I met Steve Wang for the first time, had everybody autograph stuff. I met Johnny Gilbert for the first time. And then that was when I met um, Jeff Yeager for the first time, who was who, who still is the ultimate garage kit universal monster sculptor out there. And he also was like, you really should be trying sculpting. I think you'd get it. I think you'd freaking get it. You, you can do this. So so after that convention, I was just full-blown. I, I think I could like, figuring out how to sculpt. So I started playing with wet clay. I started playing with super sculpy, and uh, and and from there I was blasting out sculptures as quick as I could, learning how to mold, learning how to cast resin, and then I started getting booths at model conventions and selling my own garage kits and you know figuring that out, and then from there it snowballed into other garage kit dudes wanting to hire me to sculpt garage kits for them, and then it turned into licensed companies wanting me to sculpt model kits for them. And then, and then it just got to a point to where I had reached what I was seeing as my max potential of a garage kit builder and a model kit maker and a sculptor for hire. And I wanted to up the game of doing, you know, moving to L.A. and trying to be a, a special effects artist, right? Um, and at that time, I had lost my dad, so I was, like, really motivated as a 21-year-old. You know, I did this for, like, you know... From age 12 was picking up clay to age 21 was when I was like, okay, I think it's time to move and try to figure out how to make this a career. I pack up a, a my 72 Volkswagen van and I road trip out there with some friends and I start showing the portfolio around. And through Johnny Gilbert, I had met a bunch of people um, doing monster shows, one of them being Daniel Roebuck, huge monster collector. 
um, and one of my best friends, and he, he, you know, he took me to the shops to show the portfolio around. He taught me how to parallel park for California. <laughs> um, and he gave me all the advice and everything I needed to just figure out how to make L.A. work and, you know, get me through the door. Um, and that was when I landed my first job at Studio ADI uh, doing movie work. And when I started to, um, you know, I was I was starting to be told, you know, I really got to start learning how to do full size things, full size, work with silicones, work with fiberglass, you know, work with dental acrylic, and start making, you know, more than just model kits, um, and the process on how movie monsters are made, and props are made, and puppets, and animatronics, and then, uh, and then it was ten years of that industry. Studio ADI, KMB, um, working on all kinds of movies. The Annabelle movies. I just remember Bright from Netflix. We were painting on there. I was doing that. Uh, Shane Black's Predator. I was a character designer on that. And I just, you know, essentially ADI was my home base where I ended up, you know, working my way up from, from a kid, you know, helping with molds and learning how to do stuff to a sculptor and sculpting there. To becoming, um, you know, going, being sent to sets, to 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 be, be applying stuff, to be putting the guys in the monster suits, um, and and them letting me use the space for my own work and learning how to do my own things, and then that was when I had decided to become a filmmaker, and I started, you know, uh, Alec Gillis, the owner, one of the owners of ADI, was 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 what played one of my characters in my short films, and learning how to tell stories and do original characters. And uh, and and really like figure all that out. Um, yeah, you want me to keep going? Yeah, you're on a roll. Yeah. We're intrigued. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a lot of uh, it was just that right. It was just building the portfolio of being in the entertainment industry and working on movies and TV shows and this and that. And through that, you know, you just start as 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 I was starting to get older. I'm starting to kind of get a more, a more refined taste on what my style is and the stories I want to tell, and the creativity I want to let out, and realizing that that's not something I can do in a regular day job. And I'm tired of putting my stuff as, as a oh, we good ghost as a secondary as a, as as I mean, essentially working any job. The, your free time is now secondary right you're always 90 percent of your time is the day job the yep. grind and i just got to a point to where i was like why am i always struggling to pay rent and find work and still being unhappy with what i'm making because it's not mine you know and it was just kind of like a bubble ready to burst so covid happened and i was struggling and i was working out of the apartment for a year and i was you know doing freelance work and this and that and i go this isn't this isn't right um, so I packed up and I moved back to Colorado and, uh, and, and the plan was to just kind of like focus, you know, focus on my own stuff, you know, uh, um, take care of the mom, figure out how to get my own like garage I can work out of and just do my own thing. And then, uh, that's when Andrew Bowser came in with his Kickstarter that he had finished yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that one because I saw that in your list of credits. Yeah, that was the big one. Was the Onyx the Fortuitous movie, and literally just getting you know I was just getting ready to just kind of settle down and figure out my own thing, and then and then Andrew shows up and he sends me this script and he's like, hey, I want you to do some designs, and it just 
after conversations, it just made sense. And I just was like, you know what? Can I just bid on this? And can we build? Can we just? Can I just make everything and design everything and just have this all be crazy puppets? Because how cool would that be? And he said, sure. And he gave me a, gave me the opportunity to just design and build and do the all the practical effects pretty much for his movie. And because of that, I was forced to start my own shop and create a business and have a location here. And now it's just like, well, that makes perfect sense. Why? Why didn't I? I don't know why I didn't think of it before. I look at you know every special effects shop and and from everything that I love from Rob Oteen's work, Steve Johnson work, Rick Baker work. Right? It's all the kid who loves the monsters who just went out and did his own thing and created his own company. I don't know why it never clicked to start your own company. I think it's just because it's scary and it's hard. It is. But once someone says, you got the job, I mean, the first two months we did out of my mom's garage here in Colorado, and then it, it just, you know, it was like Andrew gave me the stepping stone that I needed for it to finally click. Oh, yeah, why didn't I do this? Why would I, why do, you know? But that 10 years of experience in L.A. and learning all this was was preparing me for how to run a shop and how to handle people and how to handle artists who are moody and creative and want their own outlets. <laughs> you know, you, you, you bring a sculptor in and they sculpt and you ask them to change it. Of course they're going to get pissed off. I got pissed off when I was a kid when when the bosses would come up and put their fingers in my work. and I'll, you know. But that's part of the job is, you, is you're hired to do someone else's stuff. And now I am hiring people to do my stuff and I get to say, you know, I get to be the creative boss that everyone doesn't like. But it's so much fun, and it's and it's working with other artists and 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 creating a team of people to make your vision happen, which is exactly what I needed to learn on how to be a filmmaker, because that's the whole point, right? Is how to get a group of people to help you tell a story. So I see this all still as me trying to figure out how to be a filmmaker, but now it's also figuring out how to be the owner of a special effects shop. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at now. And so when you're working with somebody like Bowser. And you're the head of the shop, but you're also working with somebody else who's the director, somebody else has written mm-hmm. it. How much creative control do you retain, and how much are you still tailoring to their vision? Well, working in the industry, it, it depends, right? Some people, some directors come with their vision in hand. Um, I remember the director of It showed up with a sketch of Pennywise. He had already done it, and he said, you know... From what I was told, and you know, this I saw the sketch, and he goes, "This is what I want. Make that." But with Andrew, you know, when we were talking on the phone, he had ideas and he had some concept art, and I was going, eh, "I think, you know, what about this direction? I feel like this is the right direction. You know, let's rethink of this. You know, and more collaborative than yeah, in, in yeah." His case. And, he, and he gave me pretty much full creative freedom, and it just it's uh, you know, gradually over time, he was seeing that I did know what I was talking about, and. And, and I can second that because I was one of the funders, so I've been oh, following awesome. some of the some of the photos, I've, awesome. and you've done some good work. Thank you. But it just got to the point to where I was getting even weirder and bolder, and I was like, "Dude, what if the zombies were like lime green and turquoise?" And he goes, "I don't know. That sounds kind of weird." And I was like, "Hear me out. Hear me out." And I show him the skins, and he's like, "This is too green. This is too green." I'm like, "That's not painted yet. Let me. I know what I'm doing. Let me do it." And you know, I show him what I'm doing, and then the box demon came up, and I go, "I, I go." I, I literally I have the I have the text conversation where I go, hear me out. I got this great idea for the box demon, and I send him a photo of a kid's book of mine. Um, and I go, what if this is the paint scheme, and it's 
and it's rainbows and polka dots. And I go, leave me out. Mm-hmm. When have you ever seen a, a, a demon in a movie this colorful? And he goes, all right. I, yeah, I, I can't think yeah. of one. Yeah, and I go, and he goes, all right, I think, okay, just go for it. And then even the devil, you know, that was the whole thing where it was like, he wanted a guy a suit, and I go, what if it's not a guy in a suit? What if it's this? And, you know, he goes, that would be sweet. And I go, it's going to cut, it's going to, about the same cost as a suit would be, but you don't have someone sweating and freaking out in there. Um, <laughs> the freaking out is the fun part, though. Yeah, yeah. And I go, what if he's you, naked? You've got to hand it to the actors a little bit yeah, sometimes. Yeah, true. Yeah. And I go, what if he's naked and he's bright red? And he's like, okay. And then I remember the last minute one was like, I go, I send him photos. I send him Tarzan, and I send him the great Garlou. Mm-hmm. And I go, what if the devil devil has leopard print? And he's like, he's like, like Flintstones? And I go, no, like these. And I go, back when it was cool to have a leopard print freaking loincloth. Not the Flintstones. And he goes, dude, you can do whatever you want now. I don't care. <laughs> so the devil has a freaking leopard print loincloth. And I'm so happy for it, because it just makes it even weirder for some reason. Um, but it's that fun of designing a character and having the freedom to do the bold things that literally no other film will do, because mm-hmm. they all go... Video game monster designs. We've got to play it safe. Everything looks like it's from the same stupid universe. Um, and I am trying to show, especially as a brand new uh, uh, establishing effects company, that uh, when you come to Creature Kid, you're not coming to us to execute something that you already have in mind. You're coming to us just like it was back in the day, in the heyday, when you would go to Jim Henson's because you were hiring Jim because you knew what he was doing. You'd go to Steve Johnson because you wanted something crazy and wacky. You'd go to Rick Baker because you wanted the beautiful, you know, the the, the apes or the beautiful stuff, and you're working with the top, and you're getting the highest quality, you know? Um, And it just kind of has become, it's just kind of gotten lost in that because of the the fast turnarounds, I think, and maybe the, the constant video game designs that everyone thinks is working all right, you know? Um... So I'm trying to uh, be nitpicky on the projects that come in and show what we're capable of doing in original, untapped designs that I think are just too bold for most people to think it's a good idea. Well, and, and it makes sense. If you're looking for work to be done, you go to the professionals. Mm-hmm. If you've written the best screenplay in the world, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have the visual artistry to to make it come to life in the way that an effects person does so you go to the professional and and take their input yeah like i don't think anybody would go to rob bottini be like dude we got these designs can you execute this (laughs) they'd go to rob and they'd be like hey man here's this crazy fantasy serious thing and he go okay tim curry with giant inflatable horns (laughs) just so weird or like you know explores the big aliens with the goofy bellies bouncing around you know, and even the thing, which is as is as realistic and terrifying as it is, those sculptures are complete cartoons mm-hmm. um, and twisted faces. And even the work he did in the Twilight Zone movie, which is a straight up Looney Tunes, you know, episode. Um, or that the Wall of Monsters in in the Mouth of Madness. Exactly. I mean, I could spot I could spot those artists' styles and influences in that stuff. You know, Jim Henson is the best example of a company that was the most interesting visually and original characters in these they're making movies that are full puppets and it's like the craziest thing and then you could see that as soon as jim's gone it's it's changed and the style is no longer there and it was jim bringing jim henson's company into life 
Um, and I think it's something you can't recreate once that person's gone. It's the artist, right? It's the artist and it's the collaboration of an artist identifying other skilled artists and also creating an environment that is, I'm sure Jim Henson's was, a bunch of goofy hippies playing around with puppets, right? No doubt. And that's just not there anymore. And I think you, you can see that in the work. Um, so I'm trying to create this environment of, and I do think special effects, all these things um, were as good as they were and were as crazy as they are because it was Rob as like a 22-year-old sleeping on the set, trying to get this stuff done, freaking out because he's running out of time asking Stan Winston for help on the dog. You know, it was it was Rick Baker being a freaking a young guy doing uh, doing King Kong, you know. Yeah, Rick Baker. Yeah, that too. What's the name of that movie again? It's alive. It's alive. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's. They're they're pointing at the baby. Yeah, for, the baby. for those of you who can't see. Yeah, the it's alive baby. Yeah. unfortunately, is staring at me. So. And I think it's it is, it is a lot of these shops are you know I mean I love what they're doing and stuff but I do think it it originally what we love and what made practical effects what it is today is it was young guys having fun being crazy doing. You know, being un- unchained, you know, Evil Dead, Evil Dead mm-hmm. 2, the craziest stuff, yep. right? Um, and I think now it's 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 a lot of these old guys where it's there's no longer a risk. There's no longer trying to prove a point. There's no longer, um, you know, you go to these things and it is just, it's just, there, there's no boldness or creativity or the young mind of being crazy, right? Um I don't know. That's just my opinion. And then there's the Hollywood studios. They're, yeah, that too. They, they do their thing. I think we're seeing a new renaissance in independent filmmaking, though. Yeah, I'm trying to. Sh- I'm trying to, and that's. I'm trying to. I'm trying to show what Creature Guild is capable of doing because we are the young people. I have all these crazy ideas pent up, and I'm trying to get them out, and I'm trying to do these wacky designs. I think it is visible in the Onyx stuff. At least I think I. I the pompous artist of me believes that the the visually the and design wise there is something there that's unique and different i i think so obviously i, I haven't so. seen the film yet it's not out yeah. but i've seen some of the photos and i've seen some of the work and i it think looks, it's there it looks unique yeah so i don't know i mean that's just my opinion i'm sure a lot of people would disagree but um but fuck them yeah. <laughs> well, and i think you're right because if you look at all the people that you've mentioned they were doing it because they loved it and there was no money i mean like you say they were they were sleeping on set they were yeah building things out of whatever they could come across because there was no garbage bags literally garbage bags sometimes and now unless you're working on the you know no budget independent horror side which is one of my favorites Mm there's no real pressure to get it done yeah you've got people from on top telling you exactly how it will work yeah so yeah i think that creativity has been lost dude one of my favorite photos is is them working on the howling werewolf in a driveway yep right (laughs) so cool so cool and then even just thinking of like like i'm looking at like kevin yeager right there you have your prototype chucky head kevin Mm -hmm. making the crypt keeper and doing these movies when he was you know super young yep it's ridiculous what what those guys did at the age they did but studios won't let people won't let that fly anymore they're not going to hire a 20 24 year old or a 30 year old to take on that much 
they're going to go to the dudes who've done it a million times exactly. before. But because of that, I think you're losing the boldness and the creativeness and the risk. And having to use your full imagination to do the most you possibly can to get your vision out with a very small budget. Um, which is what I tried to show we we're capable of doing on the Onyx movie. Very small budget. And taking things to an extreme design-wise and doing something new. Because when Andrew came to me, he goes, yeah, let's do work. I want some makeup appliances on actors for ghouls. I want a guy in a suit doing the, doing the devil. And I go, dude, when was the last time a good zombie makeup was seen that's not the freaking Walking Dead stuff? It all looks the same. No matter how you do a makeup appliance, it looks like makeup appliance on a person. Um, no matter what you do, it's going to look like a dude in a suit. The last time there was a good devil was Legend, in my opinion. There is yet to be a good devil practically made in a movie since then. Right. That is as original as it is to where it, it spawns toys and fan art and tattoos. And it's it's design-wise, it's as simple as it gets. Big black horns, red skin, the goat legs, and then clothing. Right? It's the performance and it's the design of the weirdness of this, the proportions of the horn and this and that and how big he was. So that's when I was like, what if it's puppets? Some of my favorite zombies are Return of the Living Dead, the puppets in that. Um, and I was just trying to go, what if you came to me, like what if this was Jim Henson handed a zombie demon, like a ghoul demon, you know, horror, what would he do with that? Um, how would he approach the devil? Well, you look at, you look at Tom storyteller and how those little devils were made for that beautiful stuff um the box demon was was i mean you look at that and that's straight up me kind of trying to do a henson puppet of what henson would have done with a demon i I can see some henson influence i'm trying man (laughs) um and the ghouls just the weirdness of a puppet and the silliness and like why is it moving like a person but it's not a person because a person couldn't fit in that right just weird and alien and also just playing on the 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 funness of that it is a puppet i mean we all know the re- the table zombie in return is a puppet but there's just something so i don't see why i'm looking at it i'm looking at it right now and i was just going i love that puppet brilliant um and uh yeah so i'm just trying to capture what that was and show people that it's still there it's just no one's taking the risks anymore or being as bold as they are and and um I, th- I think now I is the right know. time for it. Well, I think so. I, I think the technology has gotten to the point where a lot of new, little, tiny, micro-budget, independent studios are going to start popping up yeah. all over the place. And frankly, I think they're going to put Hollywood out of business because Hollywood hasn't had Dude, an idea in 20 so. years. I know. Well, and they rely so much on CG. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. for things that you absolutely don't need it. Yeah. I, mean, I, I feel so sorry for Rick Baker. I mean, he just kind of cut ties and went no, i'm done i, I can't mm-hmm. i can't see this anymore yeah and even the best cg in the world doesn't look as good as a puppet or a guy in a suit or any kind of practical yeah. effects it's yeah quite right yeah and i and i even look at now i mean i just i just saw today the the artwork for the new gremlins show yeah dude it's a kid show and it's like disney art yep and i'm like what huh. are they thinking Gremlins is a dark movie. It is. There's the whole story of the body, st- like in the stuck in the chimney yeah, the and Santa stuff. Story. <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying. And Gremlins freaked me out as a kid. And I'm like, why would you ex puppets and make it animated? The whole point of that movie is puppets. 
mean, mm-hmm. Gremlins 2 was my dream job, where it's bring every amazing artist together, and everyone, and, he, and Rick just going, all right, everyone, come up with a crazy Gremlin. It's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> well, you know, it was interesting listening to him talk about that, because he's like, you know, everybody behind the movie was like, I really didn't want to do it. Really? And they said, come on in and do whatever you want. And they said, oh, <laughs> yeah, we, we will. We're going to take yeah. everything we like from the first one and just push it to 11. Oh, it's the most beautiful thing. I love it. And that'll never happen again. I don't know why. It doesn't cost more. It costs less, usually. And which I don't understand. CG should not cost what it does. Yeah. My only thought is that it's a time thing, I guess. It like, we just be. need to churn it out. We need to film it as quick as we film in a month. We yeah. Film it all, and then we'll crank out CG stuff. I mean... I think I think it's that's part of it. I think it also may just be that these days they seem to have invested the infrastructure all into the CG because of the superhero movies. Yeah. Because the superhero movies need the CG. You can't do some of that stuff practically. Yeah. Although they should do more of it practically, but I know. But then you look at freaking Stan Winston's suit on the first Iron Man. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. mind blowing, mind blowing. They would never do it. I mean, they don't. No. They exed any practical suit. Yep. Right. It's yeah. just it's he just freaking Robert in a in a onesie with yep. dots everywhere. But I grew up loving that first Iron Man. It's amazing. It's mm-hmm. so cool. But you can tell the difference between the cg suit and the real suit yeah mm-hmm. i mean just the interaction it has the yeah well our stuff the lighting looks okay it's still kind of obvious yeah and then even like the spider-man suit like the suit that was made for the first Raimi movie or all that test footage of what steve johnson was doing for the live action hulk for the first time right of that huge sculpt and that giant animatronic moving his arms around how amazing would that have been and i think it would have just had a whole different feeling um i don't know well and if they have to okay go in and clean it up a little bit but yeah yeah cg is for the couple of things that just can't be done practically because there are a few and then maybe for cleaning up some of the edges of, right. of, of a practical yeah. effect. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate all that new Star Wars. I hate everything new Star Wars because they don't get it. I feel like they don't get it. I love Jabba's Palace. It's greatest, mm-hmm. it's greatest yeah. one of the greatest scenes ever filmed. And even the Rancor. And then they do the Rancor again, and he's climbing around, jumping around like King Kong. Yeah. And it's all CG, and I'm going, what a missed opportunity to have Phil on a tiny Phil Tippett on a tiny set with a puppet again. Yep. And they just do a big giant full size head for close ups, cool, whatever. And then the whole time it's running around it's a freaking CG thing. And I just go, that scene is obviously it's not iconic because of how it played out. It's iconic because it was a miniature cave with Phil and his arm and a big old puppet and mm-hmm. a tiny little Luke puppet little figure in there, yep. you know? And CG Jabba's. Oh, it could have been such a good puppet. Oh, that's why I hate the Star Wars stuff. And, he, and they go, oh, Baby Yoda's a practical puppet. And I go, Baby Yoda for... I don't know. I mean, you look at Baby Yoda, and that thing is as dead as can be compared to what Frank Oz did with Yoda. Oh, it is. Yeah. This, the personality and the expression you can get with a foam latex in a, in a thing versus a silicone puppet that's blinking... And it's just got black shark eyes. Yep. And there's no personality. There's no expression in that thing because there's not a hand in it. Still has more personality than CG, but... I guess. I don't little, know. 
Because, I mean, it's, 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 at least it's not in that uncanny valley where everything just seems a little bit yeah. off because you can tell it's CG. I so th- at least it's not that. I think what it is, I can't put my finger on what bugs me about it. Maybe it's, it, it's, I mean, I think there's no personality to it compared to what Frank Oz was. I think it's also a combination of there's a billion dollars behind that puppet. <laughs> and with Yoda, it was a bunch of old guys sitting there sculpting stuff, playing with playing with puppets. Frank Oz being a weirdo mm-hmm. and creating personality with not with hard like hardly any money put into it. Well, and that's the thing he put. You could tell he was acting. He was yeah. he was actually putting his acting into the puppet. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't they animate something then after the fact. Yeah. Say okay, well now now we'll do the voices. We'll do this. We'll yeah, but I think I think it's also just what is missing is that there isn't a squeeze of we have to do a lot of stuff with no budget. Right. We have to get the most creative people we can get to get the most out of this little amount of money in as much in as much time as we need. Right. So what you're saying is Roger Corman needs to teach a class on filmmaking to everybody yeah, who wants right? to get in. Right. We're gonna do it in a weekend. Yeah. <laughs> versus versus Disney going, here's a here's a billion dollars. Uh, make some puppets so the practical people are happy. Uh, and then we're just gonna CG the rest. It's, it's unbelievable how much Hollywood wastes money. Yeah. And granted it's it's a bunch of people who love Star Wars making the stuff, but they've turned it into an assembly line. It is. Mm-hmm. And you cannot have creativity in assembly line because they're not giving creatives creative freedom. Um, well with that it's just amazing me. You know, we have the insert character name here story that's a full series coming out for everybody. It's like you yeah. cannot mm-hmm. produce something like that in mass. Yeah, Boba quality. Fett was my favorite character as a kid. And then I watched the show and I'm going, This isn't freaking Boba Fett, what is this? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even watch it. There. Yeah. I've just I haven't even watched all of them because it's it's all mass produced and soulless. Yeah, I don't know, and I, and I think I don't know. Maybe it's just it's just now that these puppets have been done, it's like there's no exploration or I don't know. There's just something not there, and I can do it. Uh, no one else can. That's me being an idiot. Okay. Well, but <laughs> honestly, that's kind of that's I don't know. Maybe how I feel. I don't know. Well, I think Again, that's it's why my big head. I, that's why I've become a huge fan of like independent horror. Yeah. Because they they can't have any CGI because they can't afford it. Yeah. And it's good because it forces them, just like you say, to be creative, to use no money, to yeah. make all of these great things. I love that Psycho Gorman movie. Oh, mm-hmm. that is Dude, an amazing film. It was film. awesome. And again, it was, it was directed by an FX artist, right? Yeah. And I can see it. I go, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, this guy knows what he's doing. I love it. That's yeah, so it looks like the movies we used to watch. Yeah, it was it, so much fun. Yeah, that looked like a 1980s production. Yeah. It really did. Yeah. In a good way. And it must have been so much fun to make. And I think that's also it too, right? I mean, you watch Evil Dead and you go, how freaking weird and fun would this have been, you know? Well, and I think that's something, if you talk to people that were in, you know, like Evil Dead or Psycho Gorman or anything like that, 10 years from now, and they will reminisce about the the terrible things that happened on the set and the great experiences they had. And, yeah. And you talk to somebody that was on, you know, like... They were animator number 50 in Star Wars episode yeah. 90. Yeah. It's, it, they're like, yeah, I went to work at 8 o'clock in the morning and rendered things and made a yeah. drawing. It's just I know with Evil Dead, they, weren't they like sleeping all, they're all sleeping in the cabin in sleeping bags all night and oh, stuff? Oh, exactly. Or all day and then they were filming all night or something crazy? Yeah, yeah. it's so awesome. I mean, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 
yeah. one scene shot in 24 hours and people were like having to go outside and throw up because yeah. it it was just such a you know tragedy going on behind it but now it's it's perfect mm-hmm. yeah so yeah, that's how you make classics you you have to go all in and actually you could yeah, put yourself into it and you could see it i mean that's what's weird is you could see it you could see you know, you could see the writers loved Monster Squad. You could see Stan really wanted Pumpkinhead to be amazing, and it's there. You know, and and play with something new. Um, and I don't know. It's just I'm trying to recapture that in Colorado, which is even harder because there's no film industry here. But there that's what's to be. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, Bill Murray's that that Operation Dumbo. Yeah. It was like shot here. <laughs> uh, the Shining miniseries. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was cool. shot uh, yeah. on location at the Stanley Hotel. Yeah. Interesting. Um, uh, Phantoms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Chariots of Fire. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's what I when I moved out here and I started this. You know, I think COVID introduced. It's it's no longer producers coming to a studio to look at the puppets or the creatures in person. That's not a thing. Nothing is filmed in L.A. anymore, so that's not a thing. The world of build a monster suit and drive it to the back lot is from the 1950s. There is no point to be in L.A. anymore that I see when you can just Zoom everybody and you can Skype yeah. it. I mean, I, I met Andrew twice during the production of the Onyx movie, and the first time I met him was halfway through the build. Um, and, you know, I, I'm just trying to establish this shop here and then also, in between, tell my own stories and still try to figure out how to be a filmmaker and show people stuff that I know no one's going to make a jungle adventure short film on a mini budget, but I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to show that it is possible, especially in Colorado, with full creativity, using miniatures, using force perspective, building the sets practically, and and introduce characters that I have yet to see in a movie. Um, I thought I was going to see it in the Jungle's Cruise movie, but it was silly of me to think that Disney would do something right with the Jungle Cruise movie. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite rides growing up as a kid. And then I watched that movie and I go, how is it How is it possible a movie could make a movie this bad and everything wrong? Like, it's, there's nothing Jungle Cruise about that movie besides the title. And it's the silliest thing to me. So I'm trying to show that you need shrunken heads. You need, you need um, horror in there. You need the adventure of a practical set real plants not cg plants not cg animals you need puppets you need you know that's the fun of the ride is there's fake rhinos and there's an elephant coming after you and there's hippos popping out of the water and there's goofy piranhas all rusted you know spinning around and it's all tangible and it's all there and you're in the environment and you're smelling the trees and then they do a cg movie and i'm like what is this what is this it's the weirdest thing so that's why we have this Kickstarter going. I'm trying to raise the money to just do 15 minutes of what I envision a jungle adventure, practical horror comedy should be, and show that it's possible at a ridiculously low budget with characters I think people would care more about than any... Literally, I can't even think of a single character in that movie besides The Rock. That was That's just not a giant person, right? There is no fanciful characters in that movie. Um... And I'm just trying to show that that stuff is practically there to attain with a group of creatives who are wanting to see something new in the industry. Um, 
So that's my Kickstarter pitch. So where do where do people find it? Um, it's on all of my social medias, Creature Kid with a K. The Kickstarter's five days in, and we're about fifty three percent funded. Um, we still have a way to go, and we're introducing new perks as we go. I'm uploading new videos um, to update new new news and stuff on that on my YouTube channel and on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. And uh, I'm just trying to uh, get this short film made to show that I can offer something new in the storytelling area, in the in the um, in the world of of people being able to make short films. It doesn't have to be just a ghost in your living room or or you know a monster in the woods or just gore it can be fantasy and it could be a period jungle adventure it could be a group of kids in another dimension it could be you know a, a, a spaceman fighting a space monster using old techniques anything's possible possible i mean what i'm trying to establish here in colorado is the you know, what George Millier was capable of doing inside one room with painted sets. Mm-hmm. You know, it could take you anywhere in the world. You could make a trip to the moon. That was so magical about it. And there are no, as far as I know, independent filmmakers doing something that crazy because they think it costs too much or right. you need a full CG crew to do all that. I'm going, no. Paint wood. Make puppets. Make costumes. He did it. Why does it all have to be computer stuff that you have to learn? I have to learn this program. i got to get this 4K camera. I can't do it. Right? We all have, like, George Millier seeing a cell phone for the first time would be the craziest thing ever because we have cameras better than anybody had back then. Exactly. Right? You have better cameras on your cell phone than anybody had until 10 years ago, even in the professional studios. Yeah. What was the name of the film? I I was talking to you about it before, uh, that they stealth shot at Disney on cell phone cameras. Oh, yeah, that the horror one, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, admittedly, they had to cut it back to black and white because they couldn't color match anything oh, that's phone hilarious. to phone. Yeah. But, you know, that's another one. Renegade shot, patched mm-hmm. together, and, you know, it had a little CG in it. I'll give it that. But yeah, just fun. Yeah. Or there's that uh, psychological thriller. I forgot who directed it. It's called Unsane. Yeah. Shot on an iPhone 7. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. the, the, the tech doesn't need to be... Yeah, uh, a, a roadblock. Yeah, the tech doesn't need to be a roadblock. I think the roadblock for a lot of it is a lot of this stuff just isn't written super well, mm-hmm. and it's just not creatively introducing any new characters. I mean, Evil Dead, the first one, a bunch of high schoolers with film cameras, which have been insane to lug around. I mean, then they say they were running them around on two by fours. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then, but then they had um, what's his name? They did the, doc- the the documentary Invaluable about the artist. Oh, um. um, I can't remember his name, but he did the stop motion, he did the makeup, he did the effects, and he's just a wackadoo with an insane amount of talent. Um, and it shaped the style of the movie: the stop motion book burning in the fire, and the stop motion zombies melting and screaming as they fall to the ground. Um, Tom yeah, Sullivan. Tom Sullivan, dude. One of my idols and someone I want to meet more than anybody. Um, the coolest stuff. Um, and it's just, you know, Sam Raimi too, who had his style down. Um, Bruce Campbell, who knew his weird acting skill because they grew up on the Three Stooges and the slapstick and the goofy stuff. And then they're all friends, so they all love being with each other and making the silliest thing possible. Now I will and bring, you can see it. I will bring one up because you just talked about... Uh, 
a, a combination of stuff. Have you seen Cleveland Smith? No, what is that? That was one of the first uh, Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi short films shot oh. on like eight millimeter home film. They're all like twelve years old. Yes, yeah, the one they're <laughs> shooting in front of like Sam's house and yep. or his mom's house. It's amazing. I've never bad. seen that. Uh, I may have a screening of it for you. Oh, that'd be awesome. I, I have all the old films like that. So <laughs> this one time in L.A., one of those L.A. stories that's just like, I'm so glad I was there, was it was a friend of mine was like, hey, they don't have test screening in AMC and Burbank. Let's go. All right, sure, whatever. And you get like, it's a free movie. We'll go get dinner before. Cool. And it was for a test screening of Crawl, uh, alligator movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they were like, the CG is halfway through. You know, it's just, you know, fill out the forms afterwards. To see, you know, let us know what you think. And we get out, and I was like, yeah, it was all right, it was all right. And then I turn, and there's the director of it who did, um, I think I think he might have been the one who directed the Evil Dead remake. Yeah. And then Sam Raimi. And I was like, oh, oh my God, what do I do? What do I, should, I, should, I, should, I, should I do this? And my friend's like, I don't know, you need to do whatever you want. And then a guy came out of the bathroom, and, and he heard me saying, like freaking out, and he's like, dude, you should do it. Because when are you Sam. ever going to do mm-hmm. it? And I was like, oh, my God. Oh my god, such a fan. And I just nerded out on him. But at least I got to shake his hand and mm-hmm. tell him thank you for everything he did. And I'm trying to be a filmmaker. And, you know, hopefully someday I'll get to meet you and we'll be on a level to where I'm not just some freaking weirdo. Um, but I, the stuff he did. You'll probably still be a weirdo, just oh, not, yeah. just <laughs> yeah. different different way. Yeah, yeah, stay, yeah, stick with the weirdo. That's important. Yeah, he'll be. I'll be a weirdo where he actually doesn't think. You know, he's he's aware of what I do. Yeah. Um, and and the same thing happened. You know, in L.A., I was uh I was doing my Monster Palooza. I had my artwork there, and uh and I and I was like, you know, everyone was like, dude, you got to stay at your table. And I was like, I hate sitting at a table. <laughs> so I was like, I'm gonna go get food. I'll be back. Just freaking make sure no one steals anything. And I was like telling the neighbors, like, yeah, just make sure no one grabs anything. I'm just gonna go. I don't really care, because I don't really care about that. I'm not there to just hustle crap. I just want to show off what I can do. And I come back, um, like an hour later, and I see, I see this guy talking to my t- other t- uh, the table next to me, going, "Is this? Is this your? Who's is? Who's is this?" And I run up and I go, "Oh my god!" And it's J.J. Abrams and his kids. And I'm like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" I'm a huge because um, I was working at AMC at the time when Cloverfield first came out. And the viral marketing for that, I was obsessed with because I was like 20, you know, 20 years old, 19 years old. And I remember wanting to see that movie so bad. What does the monster look like? And I was sweeping popcorn and I wasn't able to go to the screening. So I'd sit there and listen to the awesome credit score <laughs> and sweep up popcorn and be like, I got to see this freaking movie. Um, and then I meet him and then he buys some stuff from me. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying to be a filmmaker. And it's like the coolest thing ever. And, uh, and I meet that guy. And he enjoys my work, and he purchases my work. And then another example of me being late and not caring about crap was um, I did this art show, Guillermo del Toro-themed art show, and I built this big elaborate thing, this tooth fairy, and I did this story I made up about the Hellboy 2 Golden Army tooth fairies and what if there was a queen and what if there was babies and what if it was like an, uh, they, they functioned as a, like an ant swarm and stuff. And so I did this sculpture, and I put it in the show, and then, you know at a late night and I met a girl so I was sleeping in and then I show up to the art gallery and everyone's like dude where have you been Guillermo's here he's looking for you and I walk up to him I was like oh my god and he's like dude yours is the first piece that I purchased when I walked in the door and it's the only piece here that tells a story and then I ended up going to his house and delivering it to him 
and he sits down and you know and, I, and he offers me coffee and sure enough my ipad had no wi-fi so i sh couldn't show him the concept at work for my ideas mm. so i was trying to describe to him i want to do this and i want to do that and this that you know and and i even had the jungle artwork there and it wouldn't load <laughs> and and he was Go figure, like right? he was yeah and he basically just gave me the advice you know you can't keep trying to you know you can't be an artist who wants to be a filmmaker you need to be a filmmaker that has to do the art like has to do the special effects to make it and him is a wonderful example as he did it he was a special effects artist and he befriended filmmakers and was giving them deals on effects for the movies so that he can get opportunities to direct and he worked his way up there you know doing the effects for his, his own stuff for chronos and everything and um you know, one of my idols who worked his way up to make his own creature from the Black Lagoon movie. My favorite movie growing up as a kid. And this guy did it. You know, and J.J. Abrams, you can see a thousand percent in the early stuff, a monster fan, uh, a, a, a 60s monster kid. The Aurora model kits are in his movie, oh, you know, absolutely. Super 8 and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I go, this guy was doing it. He was moving, moving up there. Granted, he sold out. But <laughs> I could see where he was going with it. But and wouldn't I could it be see nice to sell out? Dude, if someone gave me a million dollars in a freaking Star Wars movie, I like I could care less. Exactly. I'm gonna go retire. I don't know, a million dollars not that much anymore. Oh That's yeah, true. a billion dollars. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Zeros, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he sold Bad Robot for like a ridiculous. I can't even. Yeah. Yeah, it was something insane. And I just go, well, that was a bummer. But I saw where he was going, and I could see where it would have been going if he would have kept doing that. If we would have kept up the struggle of trying to create new stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Um. And uh, Sam Raimi, you could see it a thousand percent in the work he was doing, and even in the first Spider-Man movies, which I loved growing up as a kid, was those Spider-Man movies. And then you, and then you see, and then you see it. You, you see, people get too old, creativity fades away. Um, the passion and the drive to show what you're capable of doing fades because you've done it. And as soon as you've done it, I think it does. You, there is a point where you need to stop. Right, you know, I feel like Sam Raimi and Tim Burton, you know, Guillermo, I think, got a late start, so he still is showing what he's capable of doing, and that's why he's getting such wonderful stuff at the age he's getting at, because he wasn't getting the successes. Tim Burton making Batman for the first time and moving up to Edward Scissorhands and those things and the amazing stuff he was doing, um, or Sam Raimi getting his start uh, at such a young age, or Spielberg, right? Even Spielberg stuff. Spielberg stuff sucks now. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to go see a movie, Spielberg. I'm sorry. Jaws was the greatest movie of all time. And it's because they had a bunch of FX artists who didn't know what they were doing, and nope. it was freaking crapping out. Sure. He, had, he had freaking wackadoo Spielberg sitting there editing film all night, you know, and, uh, and trying to do something crazy and going over budget and going over time and stuff and the struggle was there but you could see how much fun they were having on the beach exactly how much how crazy it was with a boat out in the middle of the water and them all waiting pissed off the whole time as a boat is going by in the background you know well that's kind of what i was going back to you know then it was a nightmare to do but now yeah. they just reminisce about these great experiences they had and how, yeah. how it was such a small fun thing i think art needs to be small fun and hard and as sucky as that is, I think it's just something you got to do. And I know a thousand percent at some point that will not be an option for me anymore. And I will be doing that stuff. And I think that's when you need to stop making your own crap and, and start helping out younger people who are trying to show off what they are capable of doing. Right. Um, like I wish 
freaking Tim Burton would be producing stuff with first-time directors. Um, I know Sam's done it a few times. I know Guillermo produces stuff with first-time directors. Right? He's given, um, you know, he gave the director of It, who did Mama, right? He picks, right. They, they see a short film and they help them make a feature, you know? Same thing happened with the director of, uh, of Lights Out. A YouTube guy makes a short film with with his wife, and mm-hmm. sure enough, uh, James Wan picks it up. James Wan's a great example. Someone who got such a small amount of money, made his own horror film, and it blew up, and it made so much profit. The studios would let him do whatever he wants, yep. and he worked his way up. Um, Come play a great example. A young kid who makes a short film, horror short film. Amblem picks it up. Next thing the kid knows, he's sitting next to Spielberg talking about how to make his movie come play and hiring Jim Com- Jim Henson's company, bad move, to make <laughs> a practical monster. Granted, the design wasn't there, but that's just me. Um, but again, what an amazing story for an independent filmmaker. And I'm just trying to show that you don't need to make a, sh- a feature film anymore. The days of Sam Raimi, kids trying to make a horror short film, you don't have to do that. I think, personally, I just need to show what I'm capable of doing in 15 minutes or less, in different worlds, with different stories, and each one's as unique and interesting and visually cool as the next, with original characters that you would love to see toys of, but it's a short film on YouTube. Um, So that's what I'm trying to get funding for. Granted, I've already made a lot of the crap, and it's something I could probably scrape together, but I'm also trying to run a shop now and pay rent and figure that out. So 50000 is what we're trying to raise, and that would cover rent for the time, materials for the time, and paying all these wonderful dollars to just help me instead of asking buddy, everybody for favors anymore because um, they've had it up to here with me asking for <laughs> favors. So this is more just to repay and help out everybody who's been helping me, and I don't pay myself to sculpt. I'll do that all day long for free and paint all day long for free and write all day long for free. But it's just everyone else locally um, and and just trying to keep an environment of everyone's happy and everyone's making stuff for fun and exploring what they can do creatively um, while trying to help me create my vision. I think that's great. Uh, We've hit the top of the hour, but uh, one more time just so everybody knows, if they go over to Kickstarter, what do they look for? It's called Jungle of Darkness by Adam Doherty, Creature Kid. Um, go go spend all your money there. Please help me. I'm trying. Uh, awesome perks and and also the video once the short film once it's done, boom, straight up on YouTube. I am anti film festivals. <laughs> I do not believe in sh- in trying to get struggling filmmakers to pay to have their stuff possibly in a short film. So I am anti film fests. I think content should just be uploaded for free. And if it's good enough, it will get the eyes on it. That's what I believe. So you can donate and help, and then you can watch the video whenever it's done. Hopefully in October. And the fundraising ends on which date? The fundraising ends June 11th. We have 25 days from today. Cool. Um, so thank Probably you Probably fewer days by the time you all hear this. Probably. It's getting down to the wire, everyone. Yeah, we'll, we'll get it out quick. We'll, we'll make sure it gets out quick. It's just not going to be today. That's but, okay. Uh, no, that's great, and thank you for coming. It's, yeah, thank it's you. It's great talking to you, and Likewise. we want to see this made. So, uh, That being said, I guess uh, we're done with the hour. That went fast. Yes, it did. But, uh, yeah, after this uh, 
this whole thing's mm-hmm. done and made, maybe we'll have you back and talk about it. Yes. Yeah, that'd be good. I'd be like, what a bad mistake. <laughs> short film's terrible. I'm not a writer. <laughs> uh, I think it'll turn out great. I hope so. Yeah, so. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I guess we'll tell everybody thanks for listening and uh, yes, indeed. talk to them next time. Thank Take you care. all.